Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. The ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We have been going through a series entitled My Name Is, and I hope that you have been enjoying this series. Um, we have been exploring the names of God that can be found in the 23rd Psalm. What's interesting about that, it's not immediately on top of the surface, but if you dig deep and understand how, the, how David is communicating, he's given us a, a, a rich, full six verses or five, six verses, I believe, in the 23rd Psalm, and that's why over the years it's, it's been the favorite of many people. Um, it's a psalm of comfort. And so over the past three weeks, we have learned how God is our shepherd, the Lord is our shepherd, and that's Jehovah Roy. And we learned that he's also Jehovah Jireh, which is another name, our provider. We also found out that he is Jehovah Shalom, which is our peace. And he is also Jehovah Rapha, which he's our healer. And then last week we talked about how he is Jehovah Sid Canoe, which is our righteousness. And we learned that he's also present, Jehovah Shammah. And so today we're going to hear two more names of God that we can find within that psalm. And we're going to talk about Jehovah Nisi, which is God the Lord, our banner, and we are going to be talking about Jehovah Melchizedek. That's a word for you, which is the Lord is holy or he is our sanctifier. And so let's begin as we continue through the 23rd Psalm. And we see that David, his next verse in verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of mine enemy. Now, what a table is, a table is actually a plateau. So we understood last week that when the shepherd, David or any other shepherd, when they take the sheep through the valley, they take them to, the, to what is known as the tableland or the highlands. Another name is tableland. And they, the reason why they call it a table is because it's flat. And so when we look at David or we look at what the shepherds do, they go to prepare the table for the sheep. Now, why is that necessary? It's necessary because in the tableland, there's a lot of poisonous weeds. And so the shepherd will go there and he will scope out with the eagle's eye what is present. He, and he's looking around and he's meticulously going through the grass and making sure that there's nothing poisonous there. Now, the reason he has to do that is because sheep are curious, and we, we found that out, right? And, and so they're going to eat everything that's there. They're going to be just like Mikey. Remember that back in the day? Mikey, he eat anything, and they gave him the check cereal. Well, well guess what? A lot, the sheep are like Mikey, and, but guess what? It's not just Mikey. That's us, too. Because like sheep, especially lambs, we somehow feel that we have to try everything. 
And wasn't that true when we were teenagers? We would try things out. Now, let, let's be honest. Some of y'all, y'all tried out some reefer. Now, some of y'all kept smoking it. But some didn't. They tried it, found out, this isn't for me. We tried probably cigarettes. Some of them kept smoking. But some of them said, uh-uh, I don't like cigarettes, even with alcohol. Now, when I was in college, they tried to get me to drink. But I didn't like it. And so I never became a drinker. We, we try things. And still, even in our adult lives, we try things. Those who love food, some people, yeah, I try it, something new. I don't, I don't go too far out. I kind of stick in the same food choices. Because I just, I don't go far from what I like. And, but other people, yeah, I try it. I don't want to try squid. I don't want to try eating squirrel. I don't want to try eating rattlesnake. But some people will. They like to try things. And so we're, we're just like those sheep. And a lot of times when we're under pressure, we give in to pressure and kind of do what other people would want us to do. Well, there's another task that the shepherd is attentive to do during the summer, attentive to during the summer. And what that is, he, he looks out for the predators. Now, we know when he goes through the valley, he already checked it out. So he kind of identifies the shepherd where, where the where predators might be hanging out. But he also has to do that up in the tableland. Now, the tableland is different because it's an open space. And so when he goes up and he has to check out the tableland, he has to make sure that at any given time he will be able to protect the sheep. And what does he do? He will keep looking and watching and looking and watching as the sheep feast, and the sheep don't have any idea what's going on around them. It's kind of like preschool. When you're watching, you know, preschoolers or, or when, if you work in a daycare, now, when you have the kids outside, you're supposed to be watching them. You're supposed to keep your eye on those children all the time. But we know that some people don't. They be looking at the cell phone or they be watching something else. And just that quick, what can happen? A child can get injured or a child can do something they're not supposed to. That's what sheep do. Just like sheep, it's the same way. So, so what we see here is that... The, the shepherd will go prepare the table. He will go out front. He will be, make sure that everything is okay. It is only his preparation for such an eventuality that can possibly save the sheep from being slaughtered and panicked by their predators. That's the only way they're going to be protected. And so when we look at Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is our banner, that's his name. And in the Subtuagent, which is the Greek, it's uh, the Greek of the Hebrew, translation from Hebrew to Greek, it actually means the Lord is my refuge. And when it's actually translated from Hebrew to the Vulgate, when the Vulgate was the Latin of the Hebrew, it actually translates that word Nisi into the Lord is my exhortation or it means to be lifted up, to be exalted. Hmm. So the Lord is my banner. The Lord is to be exalted. The Lord is my refuge. Well, let's look at point one. Jesus is our banner of salvation. 
let's look at the text. Exodus 17, I'm going to read it for you, verses 8 to 16, or you can join me in your Bibles. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other side, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, here it is, the Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nisi. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. What do we actually see here? What we see here in 17 is that when the Egyptians had come, or when the Israelites had come out of Egypt, out of bondage, they were under the leadership of Moses, but they never had to fight. And here, Joshua was leading an army to fight the Amalekites who didn't like them passing through their territory. And, and so what happens? We see that Moses had the rod of God. And as he held the rod of God up into the air, as long as he was doing that, they were winning the war. But what happened? His arms got tired. And as he, his arms got tired and would drop the rod, all of a sudden the Israelites weren't winning anymore. They were losing. Uh-oh, there's, there's a problem. So what did they do? So Aaron and Hur come alongside of him, sat him on a rock, and they helped him to keep his arms held up until the war was run by the Israelites. And Moses said, I'm going to build an altar. And so he builds an altar, and he names it Jehovah Nisi, which means God is our banner, which also translates in the fact that he wanted people to understand that God fought our battle. That the reason why we were able to win is because God went out before us and he won the battle for us. Because they didn't know how to fight. And so it means that it represents God's power working on their behalf. And when he built that altar, it, he was always supposed to remember to celebrate the victory that God had given them. Well, what do we get from that? We know that spiritually, Jesus has gone out before us. Jesus had prepared to go to the cross. And if you look at it, really, from the perspective that Jesus did this 2,000 years ago, did he go before us? He went before us, didn't he? We believe something that happened in the past. However, Jesus is still alive. 
Jesus has always been alive. Jesus was the flesh, but Jesus has always been here. Jesus already had prepared to fight for all those who belong to him. Now think about that. That means I don't have to fight my own battles. Yeah, that's what that means. Jesus has gone before us. Why? Because he knows the trick of the enemy. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. He knows his ploys. He knows his tricks. He knows how he attacks him. He knows how he attacks, period. And doesn't it say in the word that the devil has come to steal, kill, and to destroy? And that's what he wants to do to our lives. He doesn't want our lives to be prosperous. And when I use that term prosperous, I'm not talking about money. But he doesn't want you to enjoy deep-rooted fellowship with Jesus. So the reality is, is that Jesus has gone out before us. Here's a classic example. Remember that man named Peter? You, you remember him? Remember Jesus told him, he said, Peter, you know what? Satan desires to tempt you and the something, Peter. I prayed. This is Jesus telling Peter, you know what, Peter? I prayed to my father for you. And what did Jesus pray for Peter? That your faith might not fail during desperate difficulty that he would encounter. Do you know that Jesus is still praying for us? He's at the right hand of the father praying for us. Now, what is he praying? He's not praying that you get a brand new car. He's not praying that you have a nice house in the burb. He's not praying for any of that. He's praying, Father, I tell you what he's praying, because he lets us know in, in um, chapter 17, doesn't he? He says that, I pray, Lord God, that you will be with them. I pray, Lord God, that, that you will make sure that they are in me and that you will walk with them and that they will have a desire to grow in their relationship with you. Lord, I pray for your protection over my sheep. Jesus was the good shepherd and we're his sheep. And he's praying for us. So, so Jesus is our banner. We belong to him. And you remember the Olympics? You watched it, probably, most of you. But when you look at the flags that they were carrying out, it was the flag of their country, and they're walking proudly behind that flag. Why? They're walking behind that flag because that flag represents where they come from. And so when we look at Moses, when he held that held the rod up, the banner. He called it the banner. It represented all those individuals, all the Israelites that God was fighting for because they were his people. Well, well Jesus is our banner because all those who have received him as Lord and Savior, guess what? We are in him and he is our banner and we are marching behind him because he's our banner. We belong to him. But a lot of times we don't act like it. God has gone out before us. The Lord has gone out before us. God identifies himself with us because we belong to him. He saved us from our sin. And that's the only way that we can ever get into Jesus' family, into the family of God. Excuse me. 
We have to come by way of Jesus, don't we? Speaking of the Messiah who was to come, Isaiah said this, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. He will set up a banner for the nations. That's Isaiah 11, verse 10 and 12. In Romans 15, 12, the Apostle Paul says, of it, speaking of Isaiah's words and applies it to Jesus, he says, and Jesus himself said, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That's John 12. Wasn't he lifted up just like the rod? Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And anybody who looks to him, guess what? They're going to be under his banner. Because what they're saying, Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to give myself to you. I receive what you're doing for me at the cross because I want to enter into your country. I want to belong to you. Where you go, I want to be there. We're his people. David knew that. That's why he's able to say, the Lord is my banner. And we're able to say that Jesus is our banner. And so let's look at our next point. Living under Jesus is our banner. Here's what we need to recognize. If Jesus is our banner, how do we live under that banner? Well, here's the thing. God, we need to recognize that God does not leave us to fight our battles in our strength. Didn't Jesus say he give, he's given us the comforter? The Holy Spirit. God himself lives in the believer. We try to fight in our flesh, and we can't do it. And so when we look at the, how, how Moses and, and the Israelites, they were former slaves, how they weren't experienced soldiers, and, and how they were able to get the victory, not because it was in their strength, but the Lord was fighting the battle with them. We don't have to fight alone. Why are we trying to deal with stuff by ourselves or with our own minds trying to rationalize things. No, he can fight for us. We need to recognize that God expects, expects us to cooperate with him as he works on our behalf. He, he, he's saying, listen, I got the victory for you, but you're going to have to listen to what I tell you. The scripture says the victory's already been won. How come we're not walking in the victory? He's already fought the battle. You know what the battle was? The battle was against Satan. The battle was against Satan because Satan is the one who caused us to be born in sin without God, way back with Adam and Eve, because it's been imputed in us. And so when we look at Jesus, what he's done for us, he's given us the ability to be able to walk in freedom. Freedom from what? Freedom from being bound to sin. But yet there's something in us that keeps us running back to it. We don't have to walk in bondage to sin anymore because Jesus has set us free. We just have to cooperate with him and be obedient and exercise our faith. 
What else? We need to recognize that we can help others to gain the victories God wants for them. We, we need to come alongside of others. Look at Aaron and her, how he came alongside of Moses. Moses could not do it on his, in his, on his own strength, but he couldn't do it by himself either. God gave him the victory, but didn't Moses need somebody tangibly to come alongside of him? Who do you have coming alongside of you? But you think, we think we can handle it on our own. A lot of times that's what we think. I don't need anybody. I can handle this myself. No, the enemy wants you to think that. Because if you think that, he has you. Because you can't do it on your own. You're trying to fight in your flesh and you can't do it. We need to recognize that it's important to remember to celebrate the way God has led us and the victories that we've had. Do we ever think about all the victories we had over the time that we've been saved? Do we ever sit down and just look back and think about after I had given my life to the Lord? I remember what Jesus did here. I remember what Jesus did that. I remember when I was in this jam and the Lord brought me out. I remember, I, I remember all these things. And the tendency is to think about those things, even though God might be concerned about them to a certain extent, is all those things that are tangible. But what about those things in our lives that are internal? What has God done internally? What, what is there to celebrate about what's happening in me as he conforms me to the image of his son? And then we should express gratitude for God's blessings, right? That's what he did. The reason why he built an altar is so that, listen, God, we don't want to forget, but we also want to celebrate the fact that you won the victory for us. How do we celebrate our victories? Do we give God the praise? Do we give, come to church and give testimonies of what God has done for us? I, don't, I can't remember the last time we had somebody in church give us a testimony. We used to have that happen all the time back in the day. I know times have changed. But God hasn't changed, has he? He's still doing stuff in people's lives, and maybe we need to hear some of it. Because it helps build our faith. It helps to know that God is moving, not not just being stagnant. And so when you're able to share testimonies, you let me know that, wow, God is moving in your life. Let's celebrate that together. That's Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi is our banner, and we're under, as believers, the banner of God. He's going out before us, protecting us. But then there's Jehovah Melchizedek. The Lord is our sanctifier. David goes on and says that you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There are parasites that trouble sheep and make their life miserable during the summertime. You know, you have flies come in your house. You know how those pesky flies, when you're trying to kill it, and you can't, because it keeps moving, you take, 
a, a folded magazine and you try to hit them, it's like, I missed them because he was so fast. Pesky little things, aren't they? Think about the sheep. They have these flies, especially the nasal fly. That is the worst enemy of the sheep because what nasal flies do, they like to lay their eggs in the moist nose of the sheep. And when they lay their eggs in the sheep, what happens is a few days later, the larvae turn the little worms and then they start to crawl up the nasal passages of the sheep and it gets in the brain or the head of the sheep. And the sheep goes crazy. The sheep is taking its head, trying to, trying to do it, going up against a tree and going up against anything it can find because he's going crazy and it can't get out. And sometimes it is so bad. These irritants, these aggravations are so bad that the sheep end up killing itself because it can't handle it anymore. Wow. Those flies... Those flies, in order to get relief, they had to beat their head, but yet beating their head doesn't bring relief. We're just like those sheep. The irritants, the flies, we get irritated about stuff. We get irritated when things happen, when things don't go our way. We get upset when things happen, the little things in our house. What are some of those things? Well, okay, the dishes weren't washed. You left the drawer open. You left your clothes on the floor. Why are you always leaving your clothes on the floor? Can't you put them up? You come in the house, you throw your jacket on the floor. Can't you put it on a hook? That's why it's there. You leave your shoes anywhere. You forgot our anniversary again? How can you, we've been married 15 years. How you forget our anniversary? How, how come you didn't wash my car? You said you were going to do it. All these little things that we get irritated about. All these things that happen with one another, with our kids, with at work or at church that we get irritated about. All these pesky flies. See, the reality is, is that they're annoyances and a lot of time they ruin us. And, and our behavior can be such that it degenerates to the most disgracefulness. And we become very frustrated. All these little irritants, just like those flies. Well, what does the shepherd do? The shepherd, at an appearance of a fly, he will get oil. And he will mix that oil with tar. And he will mix it, um, and, and he will mix it together with this concoction. And he will put it all on the nose around the face of the sheep. And soon as he does that, Guess what? The sheep chills. It's like a big transformation. The, the, the sheep is able to then lay down and relax. And start to chew their cud. Just completely chilled out because the flies aren't bothering them anymore. We'll, we'll catch that. There's a transformation and there's immediate change in behavior of the sheep because of that. 
See, and, and so what we see here is, is that David says that you anoint my head with oil. Now, here's what this means. The, the anoint the head with oil actually means to make fat in the Hebrew. That is to, to douse poor oil on the head and to show abundantly that it seems to be made fat with it. So it's an expression of abundance. It's an indication of prosperity and rejoicing. It's a divine favor, prosperity, joy. In other words, satisfaction. Okay, what does that have to do with, with sanctification? I'm glad you asked that question. We need to constantly be oiled by the Holy Spirit. With all those irritants, all those aggravations that we have to deal with on a regular basis, just like those sheep. How do we get through it without going crazy? Because a lot of us go crazy over the little things. And Jesus, because of what he did at the cross, sanctifies us. He brings us into the body of Christ so that we can be sanctified. With that word sanctified means separated. Or it means to, to be separated. It means to be made holy. And so in Exodus, this is our third point, the Lord is our sanctifier. Jesus is our sanctifier. In Exodus 31, 12 to 13, this is what it says. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbath. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy or sanctifies you. Notice that God is the one that says who he is. See, we've been reading about how they named the altars and somebody and how somebody else came up with the name. Jesus says, God says, no, I'm announcing this one. I'm Jehovah Melchizedek, the one who sanctifies you because nobody else can. Nobody else can set you apart. Nobody else can make you holy. Nobody else can sanctify you. I'm the only one who can do that. And so when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we have been set apart because God now says we are his people. And so we still have to deal with all the things in life, don't we? Even though we've been set apart, yeah, because he calls us out of sin and bondage, he says, you have become my people. Now I want to make you holy. I want to make you holy like me. Now, how does that process happen? It happens because of the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, but we got to keep being filled with the Spirit. Just like the shepherd has to keep putting that oil on, on the sheep's face, he, he doesn't just do it once. He has to do it twice. He has to keep doing it the whole summer. Yeah, we received the Holy Spirit and we now enter into the family of God because we've been brought in by the Holy Spirit. But guess what? Sanctification is an ongoing process. I got to keep asking the Holy Spirit to keep working in my life so that I can grow in my sanctification. So positionally, I'm sanctified, yes. But experientially, I have to grow in my sanctification. And how do I do that? Through the Spirit. 
Be filled with the Spirit, says Paul in Ephesians 5.18. Be not drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're told to do. That's the oil. I, I have to keep going to him. I got to keep seeking him. And that's why going to John 17, and I brought that up in prior. Look at what Jesus says. He says, sanctify them by the truth. This is what Jesus says in 17, 17 to 20. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying for us. For our sanctification. Jesus asked the Father to sanctify us through his truth. We get sanctified through the word of God. So why is it that a lot of people have struggled with sin so much? Could it possibly be that they're really not in the word of God? That their mind's not being saturated by the word? That could be a possibility. Well, here's our fourth point. The Lord provides continual sanctification through his spirit. Right? So when we look at the sanctification process, we already kind of talked about it. Sanctification is definitive, right? Because God does it. God sanctifies us when we give our lives over to Christ. So... So something happens there. But then, guess what? We have to grow in our sanctification, so that's progressive. So the active growth proceeds from the life we live by faith in Christ. Continuing to trust in the finished work of Christ, we grow in our Christ-likeness by cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Notice that word. I have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Am I cooperating with the Holy Spirit by seeking the guidance of the Spirit? Or am I just making my own decisions? Maybe that could be the issue too. We are in Christ by faith. And he is in us by the power of the Spirit. In Ephesians 1.3, it says, In him we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we can understand this, we understand that our union is in Christ. Well, Sanctification is different for everyone. It doesn't happen the same way. So a lot of times we put expectations on people. But the reason why sanctification looks different in people is because they go through different symptoms. Sanctification has impacted every part of us. Our minds, our emotions, our spirituality, our, every, our relationships, it has impacted every part of us. And all of us are at different places. So sanctification isn't going to happen at the same time. 
We need to understand that. David Powerson gives us five factors toward our sanctification. He wrote the book, How Does Sanctification Work? And in that, he says this. He says, first, God. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he says, truth. The truth of God's word, taught, sung, preached, studied, and read is one of the surest means by which the Spirit brings about change in our lives. Wise people, number three. God mediates our change through the gifts and graces of brothers and sisters in Christ. He uses people. Four, here's the one, suffering and struggle. Though we don't relish it, suffering and struggles work towards our growth in Christ-likeness. Difficulties prompt us to rely on God. People change because something is hard, not because it goes well. Struggles force us to need God. And then five, how do we change? Scripture calls us to actively believe, obey, trust, seek, love, confess, praise, and take refuge. We are not passive. The mystery of faith is that we are 100% responsible, yet 100% dependent on outside help. Wow. 100% we're responsible for. And 100% depending on outside help. I can't make you do anything. I can encourage you. I can talk to I'm blue in the face. I can give you everything that you need to get through it. But if you do not implement it, it doesn't go anywhere. I can't make you do that. And guess what? God can't either. We have to submit to him. We have to humble ourselves and admit that we need your help. I have to allow God to do the work. It's not going to just happen. I got to give God the ability to do whatever he wants to do. Am I willing to do that? Because he's willing to do what he needs to do if we allow him to do it. couple more things and I'm out your way. Sanctification is slow. Let's be honest. It's slow. You know why it's slow? Because we can resist the spirit. And resisting the spirit is actually resisting being sanctified in the experiential, but it's also called quenching the spirit in the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 the other thing is, is that we have to stop allowing the culture and society, which functions apart from God, to mold us its pattern of thinking and value systems. We have a lot of world in us. We have a lot of the patterns of the world because we, we were in it. And then when we come into it, guess what? We bring that stuff. And, and so... God has to work that stuff out as we give him permission and allow the Holy Spirit to bring it up to the surface. And then we have to turn it over to him and have him take it so that he can begin the process of putting his character in us. 
it all comes down to belief. It really does. What are you going to believe? That's really the key. What are you going to believe? If you believe that God is able to do something, then you're going to trust him to do it. That means if you trusted him to do it, you back off. Be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known unto God. And what will he do? He will garrison. He will protect your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. But what does it say? Be anxious for nothing. But we're anxious for everything, aren't we? So why can't I just believe that? Believe it. Be anxious for nothing. Is it possible? If it wasn't possible, Paul would have never wrote it. Be anxious for nothing. I'm not going to be anxious for this. God, help me to trust you in it so I don't have to worry about it because my worrying, as we talked about last week, isn't going to do anything for me. Let me use my mind for something else instead of worrying. And I'm going to trust you with the results of what I'm asking you for. Do I believe it? See, it's all faith. I need to walk out in it. Finally, how do I allow God to accomplish this goal of sanctification? Here it is. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit that lives in you through our sinning. Do not quench the Spirit by, not, by, failing, by failing to confess sins when you, when you fall or when you fail, just confess it. Be filled with the Spirit. Confess your sins in your life to God. And ask for the filling of the Spirit. That's an ongoing thing. The anointing of God's Spirit in our life. Asking Him for it. We need to walk by the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit continue to control your life and not be controlled by the flesh. Desire and learn the word of God every day. Lord, help me to learn your word so I can believe it and live by it. And apply the word of God to your life. Without the application, you don't see the movement of God. David learned, obviously, how God was able to work in his life. Because he was experiencing God on a regular basis. It's all right to know about God. But you got to go farther than just knowing about God. You got to know God. You got to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Not for just for your salvation, but for your sanctification. And I believe if we continue to do that, we're going to be able to say, like David said, all those things in Psalm 23. And if we're able to say all those things and recognize God's character, just think of the joy that we're going to experience in our lives. doesn't matter what's going on. Because the Lord is my shepherd. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed your character us to us. Through your names, Lord, that we are able to see eight names of God in Psalm 23 and how rich Psalm 23 is. Lord, we pray that 
as we continue to look at the 23rd Psalm every time in our lives when we need to, that you will just reveal more and more of yourself in our lives. And Lord, that we can believe it and walk in it. And Father, that others will be touched by it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise. And Lord, we ask the blessing to be on our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.